Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You know, it's incredible when you get to meet somebody that you've respected for a while or, or maybe you've heard about. Hey, it's wonderful to meet somebody that has reached a level that you could only dream of. You know, I, I think about many opportunities that God has given me through the years of being able to meet those kind of folks or especially just kind of visit with those kind of individuals who, again, who've just achieved something that you never could have. You know, I think for a moment about those people who've excelled in sports. Now, I will admit, okay, if you play, if you play high school football, you've achieved something I never could have thought about doing, okay? You've kind of reached another level. You've reached another accomplishment. But there are some, again, who've kind of gone beyond that, right? Uh, through the years, I've been able to get kind of autographs of people like Nolan Ryan and I think Adam Wainwright. And, and uh, you know what? Just, uh, I think about two, three years ago, something like that, I met Hank Aaron. You're not impressed? I thought that was cool. I met Hank Aaron. You know, it, it's incredible to think about those kinds of individuals. And, and, you know, as I was reflecting this week, I realized that we have got people here who, again, have achieved accomplishments. They've played college ball. They've done those kinds of things. There are those who have even played pro ball in our midst, right? When I came here, I got to thinking about Mickey Slaughter and how he had played some pro football. And then, of course, I, I realized Wayne Causey and George Stone, they played some, some major league baseball. I think that's cool. They're the first pro people I've ever pastored before. I thought that was cool in the beginning. The more that I've been here, you know, the more I've worshiped with them or fished with them or hunt with them or whatever else, just been around them, I realize they're kind of people like, like us. Uh, they're extremely ordinary. <laughs> Especially George, all right? If you don't know him, I'll introduce you to him after this service and you can see for yourself. But, you know, you, you begin, I mean, you're just around them. You forget about the pro ball kind of stuff. You, you don't think about that because, you know, we just interact, we talk, and it's not something that I just naturally think about every time I see them about, this guy pitching in the World Series for the Mets years ago. You know, I don't just naturally think about that. Maybe I should. But that's kind of the way it is when you get to know people or you're around them. You don't think about their accomplishments or achievements necessarily. You're just, just around them. Now, how does this apply this morning? Well, let me say to you, first of all, I'm not putting Jesus in the same category as these guys. Or maybe let me say this, these guys in the same category as Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to do this morning. But I want you to know that when the disciples were walking with Jesus each day, it, I think there was a temptation to take him and his presence lightly. Not to necessarily think all the time in every conversation that they were speaking with the Son of God. That they were talking with the living Lord of this universe. I don't think they were always conscious of that. Now, they should have been, but they were not. In some ways, they had become familiar with Jesus. They had been with him on the road walking. They had, they had sat down and they had broken bread with him. It was just when it, Jesus could, for them, 
For them in their sight, Jesus could just be that friend, that ordinary guy that's just walking by them each and every day. And yet, what did Jesus do? He constantly worked in such a manner to astonish them, to amaze them, to remind them of his true identity, to remind them that they are not to take him lightly, but they are to recognize his lordship. And they are to bow in awe before him. I would just say this this morning as we look at this message, that you and I, especially as we have grown up, many of us in this place have grown up in what we would consider Christian circles. We've heard the name of Jesus so often. We've been in our church services. We've been in worship. I want to say to us this morning that we need to be very careful about taking his identity lightly. And that we become so familiar with the service or so familiar with his name that we forget his majesty and his grandeur. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning we need to hear that he still walks on water. Maybe today we need to be challenged to go out from this place and to tell others that he walks on water. There is something about him that is so different from everyone else. And I hope that message penetrates our hearts and encourages us this morning as we worship him. Look at what, the way Mark frames this story to remind us that he is so different from us. That he is so majestic. Look in verse 45 of Mark chapter 6. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. So we pick up in the middle again of a story, a narrative, as Mark's been relating it to us. Remember, Jesus, his disciples had withdrawn. They needed a little time just to quiet themselves, to rest. But even in that moment, the crowds had found them. The crowds had found Jesus, and Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he taught them. He, he loved them. He demonstrated his compassion to them. We also know that he fed them. He, he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, and he fed 5,000 people. Incredible miracle. After that, after all the day's work, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Hey, you need to go on to the other side. You need to get back in the boat and go to the other side. You need to go on. I'll deal with the crowd. I'll deal with the multitude. You go ahead. Look at verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So what was the original purpose of him being in that area? was to rest and to pray and to catch up with God the Father. So he prays. Verse 47. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up to the, into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. 
So here you have this moment, again, as I've described it to you. Jesus says to the disciples, you go ahead. You get in the boat, go to the other side. Literally, he constrained them. In other words, he like made them. He said, you've got to go to the other side. So while he is by himself on the land, he's praying. The disciples are in the boat and they're going to the other side. But what do they encounter? Another storm. Haven't we been here before? I mean, has Mark not already told us about this other incident where the disciples were there in the boat and a great storm came? And yes, as we know, great storms would come very suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. And here they are. They're experiencing a storm again. So much for following Jesus, right? For doing what Jesus tells you to do. So much for that. Because it seems like every time we get in a boat with Jesus or we get in a boat because Jesus told us to, it seems like every time we run into a storm. And every time we're with Jesus, he's having to deal with demoniacs and diseased people and people that are experiencing all kinds of loss. So much for following Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus was supposed to be this this individual that would lead us into areas where we would never have any trouble or difficulty and those kinds of things or so some continue to think today but jesus had told them to get in the boat to go across the sea and a storm came storms still come in our lives even when we follow jesus and you need to hear this this morning Even when he directs us to certain areas, when we obey him, storms may still come in our lives. Just because we're obedient doesn't mean we're removed from all difficulty. I would suggest to you that when you are most obedient, you will probably find more difficulty in your life. But let me give you these truths this morning. Because I want you to hear this. That he sees us when we can't see him. Even in the midst of the storm. Even when you're going through difficulty. I want you to hear. He sees us when we can't see him. So look at this story again. It's at night. Always this ominous kind of presence, right? This night that is there. The darkness They are rowing, they are straining, the wind's coming against them. Now, I would remind you that some of these people are skilled when it comes to uh, rowing and, and being people that are out in the sea. I mean, think of the fishermen. They have done this before, so they're, they're again doing it out in the... But they are off course. The storm has blown against them. They feel like they're all alone. See, this is the difference in the story now and the story before. In the story before, Jesus was there. Right? He was asleep. They woke him up and they said to him, Master, teacher, rabbi, do you not care if we're being destroyed, if we're dying? Do you not even care? Well, this time, Jesus is not even there. He didn't even decide to go with them. He sent them into the storm, but he decided he would just stay and he would pray and he would find a place of solitude. So Jesus is not even there. But he can see them. 
and he does know what's going on. Nothing has escaped his attention. Nothing has escaped his eye. Nothing. How encouraging is that for us today? I mean, this is some type of miraculous seeing or viewing. I mean, he's there, it's dark. It's not like you could just look out and see the boat in the middle of the sea. This is somehow a wonderful, awesome power that Jesus has to be able to look and to see. And he knows what they're going through. He sees their struggle. He sees them straining. He knows what's going on in the boat. Have you ever had times when you, uh, you just could, felt like you couldn't see him? And you really wondered, God, are you looking? God, are you paying attention? I mean, previously the disciples had said, previously they had said, don't you even care? But now it's kind of like, where are you? Are you even looking at our lives? Do you even know what's going on? Are you even aware? There probably been those moments. Hey, I probably could give you testimony after testimony in my heart, in my life, where I kind of, hey, I didn't say it in front of everybody because you know you're not supposed to say those things necessarily. But in my heart, I thought, God, are you watching this? God, do you see the boat? Do you see the storm? The wind, oh, it's awfully turbulent. The waves, they're about to overwhelm us. Do you see? And I want you to hear again this morning that he sees us even when we cannot see him. I want you to hear it loudly and clearly this morning that if you go through those moments, and you will, that God can see everything that is going on in your life. He is attentive to you and your heart. He knows. He sees us when we cannot see Him. And I love this part. Not only does He see us when we can't see Him, He steps to us when we cannot step to Him. So get this. It says that Jesus is there alone. They're in the middle of the boat. Jesus sees them. What does he do? Well, what is very natural, right? He just decides he'll walk out to them. I mean, see this. I, I mean, Jesus just says, you know what? I'm going to walk out to them. Why? Because they couldn't go anywhere on their own. They couldn't walk back to the land. There was nothing in their self-effort that could save them. Again, they were skilled people, but they could not row back to the land they couldn't go anywhere. Obviously, they had, been, they had been struggling all night long because it says that Jesus comes walking to them about the fourth watch, which would be around 3 a.m. in the morning. I believe this had been going on for some time. I believe they had been struggling for a while. They couldn't do anything on their own, so what did Jesus do? Jesus walked to them. Jesus stepped to them. So I want you to hear this. Is that Jesus does not have to be physically present to see what's going on in your, in your life. But Jesus is more than able to walk into your life and take care of those difficulties that you are facing. 
Now, he doesn't have to be physical. Why the storm again? I mean, again, we had been through this. So why again does Mark tell us of this, of this storm? Well, beforehand, Jesus is there. And Jesus calms the winds and the wave. They know he has that authority, but he's there. How about those moments when he is not physically there, when you do not see him, when you do not physically encounter him? Jesus is still just as powerful, and he's still just as attentive. Now, today, in our life, we do not see a physical Jesus, right? I remember my high school Bible teacher telling me that if we saw a physical Jesus, we either ate something wrong that night, we're having some other kind of cognitive issues, or we're just lying about what we've seen. Now, some of you will take that the wrong way, but let me say this. The next time Jesus comes, we'll know it. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ will know that he has come. He will receive us into himself. That's the next coming of Jesus physically to our earth. We recognize that. But even though we do not see him physically, even though we do not see his physical manifestation by us, we also know that he is there watching and that he can step into our lives to make a difference. That he can walk on water. Get this. He will do whatever it takes to come to us when we cannot go to him. He'll do whatever it takes. If it means defying the natural law, walking on water, he'll do that. Whatever it takes for him to be there for his followers, he will be there. You can count on it. Now again, I didn't say that you'd be removed from the storm. Did you hear me say that this morning? Actually, there are moments he'll send you in the storm. And he did. I believe he knew what was going to happen. I think Jesus sent them in the storm. I have no problem theologically saying that, that he knew that he was going to send them into the storm. He, he knew that. But he also knew what was going to happen and how he was going to take care of them through the storm. And he knew he would step to them when they could not step to him. They cried out. Verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. I bet so. Could you try to get in that boat with them just a moment? Now, I know it's a frightening kind of thing to do, but get in the boat. Wind whirling, waves tossing. And all of a sudden, at 3 o'clock in the morning, while you've been straining, while you're emotionally spent and physically tired, you see somebody walking on the water. Yeah, you would be scared. Ghost, something, something is up. They were troubled, the scripture says. They cry out to him. And he comes to them. He speaks word of encouragement. Look in verse 51. He went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed. He went into the boat. The wind ceased. The storm was calm. 
And these individuals that were so desperate for help and salvation experienced the very power of salvation itself through Jesus' presence. He stepped to them when they could not step to him. Isn't that the very message of salvation itself? The whole of Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry. I mean, the overall arching view of Jesus and who he is. Is that not, is that not who he is and what he has done for us? Is that he stepped to us when we cannot step to him? You know, I, I do think of all the different religious traditions we have across our globe. In almost every one of those, virtually all of them, they teach that somehow you have to get to God. You have to work your way to Him. You have to be good enough. You have to, you have to get to God. What is our message? Our message as believers is that God came to us. We could never get to Him on our own. You know the mountain kind of analogy? You and I, we keep trying to climb a mountain and get to that peak, we can't do that on our own. So what did God do? God just came down the mountain. How did he do that? By sending his one and only son, Jesus, to come to us, God with us, and to provide for us salvation. Some of us, we keep trying to row. We keep trying to strain we keep trying to get through the storm. You and I could never do it on our own. Only through God and His intervention in our lives can we know His ultimate deliverance and salvation. We've experienced it spiritually. Those of us who are believers, those of us who've had faith in Him, hey, we've made that confession. Jesus, You are Lord. We couldn't have done this on our own. We needed You for salvation. You saved us. If he provided for us salvation, understand he can provide for us in every other instance. If he can cancel the power of sin, then don't miss it. He can calm the greatest storm. He steps to us when we can't step to him. And then finally... He stands with us when we cannot stand with him. Don't miss this. It says that they were amazed. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But look at verse 52. It says, they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Some have suggested that Mark's gospel in particular speaks about the failure of the disciples. Of how the disciples just failed to really hear, grasp, really respond in faith. How when you look at it, those disciples constantly lack faith in their lives. Well, you might say Matthew fills us in just a little bit on the story. Remember when Jesus comes walking on the water? There is one of the disciples that actually cries out to Jesus. I mean, they're saying, they're, they're terrified Jesus says, hey, it's me. Don't worry about this. And, and this one disciple says, hey, if it's you, let me come to you. You remember that disciple's name? Peter. Yeah, you can usually, if you don't know these things in particular, you can usually guess because Peter is always the one talking. All right? He's the spokesman. 
He says, let me come to you. Jesus said, okay, come on. And you have to applaud the faith of Peter. You have to applaud him. Because he does get out of the boat. The other disciples, well, I'm going to tell you, I would have identified them with them because I'm not sure I could have gotten out of the boat. I mean, I'm thinking about this. I can't even begin to think about heights and other things. You know they do that little stuff every now and then. It's called like bungee jumping or something like No, no, no. And you're asking me to step out on water? Now, I know that I've lost a little weight lately, but I'm going to tell you that when I stepped on that water, in my mind, all of my rational faculties say I would sink. So give Peter a little credit. But, of course, you know the story. As Peter walks toward Jesus, and then he begins to see all the other things around him, the, the wind and the waves, and he begins to consider this. I mean... I think it was something like, hey, this isn't right. I mean, natural law says this does not happen. And he begins to reason in such a way that he sinks. His faith fails him. In that instance, his faith had failed and the disciples had demonstrated their lack of faith. But Mark points it out so poignantly here. He says they had not understood the lows because their heart was hindered or hardened. They had not even gotten the they had not even gotten this basic concept of Jesus' lordship and provision through the feeding of the five thousand. Now look. Most of those who were there that were fed in the 5,000, they thought Jesus was this new Moses, this new leader. They were wanting him to be a king. Read John's account of it. They wanted a king like this. But their messianic expectation was a whole lot different than Jesus' expectation and what Jesus was going to fulfill. They wanted this military ruler, this individual that would somehow throw off the Roman rule. That's not who Jesus was. The disciples, they were almost as bad because they just had missed this. They'd been around him. They'd heard him teach. They had seen his power, but they were still missing it. Their hearts were hardened. They weren't demonstrating faith. A couple weeks ago, I preached on the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that? Great message. You remember that? Yeah. You'll do a, you do a man so good sometimes, you know. You're steaming. But the feeding of the 5,000, I mentioned to you at the end that as the disciples went around and they gathered up the leftovers, there were 12 baskets. 12 baskets of leftovers. Again, I believe each disciple had a basket. I think that's the reason you see 12 baskets. I think that's pretty clear. So each disciple had a basket, and presumably, according to Jewish tradition, the people who served got the leftovers. They still had the leftovers. So I don't know, maybe they packed it up in their boat. You would think at least one of them took their basket. Maybe all of them. They put the basket in the boat, they start across the sea, 
They encounter the winds and the waves. They're straining. But just a moment, what if one disciple, one disciple would have just looked down and just looked at that basket? You know, I said then, that basket was kind of a visible reminder that Jesus provides what we need, and even more so. If they had just looked down and seen that basket, maybe they'd have been encouraged that this Jesus could provide in the midst of the storm. Because Jesus is not just the Lord of the land, he is also the Lord of the sea. Their faith had failed. They could not stand with him in some sense of that faith. But even when they could not stand with him, he stood with them. And he was teaching them and guiding them. Again, it says they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Who does this? Who walks on water? No human being does this. No average human being can walk across water. They're amazed. They are beginning to see, I think, here. That this is not just some average, ordinary human being they've been walking with. Oh, they've seen the miracles, but now it's continued to be reinforced. And they are beginning to grasp just in a small way. That he is the Lord of life. Oh, verse 50. When he responded to them. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. That terminology, it is I. Literally, it is I am. I am. Well, now, John in his gospel will do a whole lot more with this of giving us the image of the great I am as it is reflected in Jesus. But I don't think you should miss it here. I think there are implications for us that when Jesus says this, Jesus is kind of like saying, hey, I am. You remember the way God was revealed to our ancestors? You remember the way God spoke to Moses and he said, I am that I am. He said, you don't forget I am that I am. I am God. Yeah, I'm walking on water. This is a demonstration that I am God. I'm not just some other teacher or rabbi. I'm not just some ordinary individual that you would find in the streets of Jerusalem or there on the streets of Galilee. I am God. And he had been spoken about for centuries. Psalm 65, 5. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far off seas. Who established the mountains by his strength being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of the waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the father's parts are afraid of your sons. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. Who is the psalmist speaking about? Jesus. The one who would quiet the noise of the sea. 
Psalm 89, verse 5, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The psalmist might have been speaking about the God of heaven, but in the New Testament, in Mark, we are told that Jesus is the God of heaven. He is the one that the psalmist was speaking about. And in Isaiah chapter 43, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Don't miss it. When Isaiah was talking about that, he was talking about Jesus. We sang a great hymn this morning here in the sanctuary. What a friend we have in Jesus. And it is such a truth that he is our friend and that he cares about us. But don't miss this. He is unlike any other friend that we've ever had. Because he is extraordinary in who he is. He is majestic in his deeds. He is wonderful in his reign. He is God. And when you and I come even into this place to worship and we experience his presence, we need to enter it with a sense of awe. We should marvel because he is the one who walks on the water. Yes, he sees us when we cannot see him. He steps to us when we cannot step to Him. And He stands with us when we will not stand with Him. That is the Jesus we serve. And He is more than worthy of our praise. He is more than worthy of our affection and our obedience. And I pray this morning we would stand in awe of the one who walks on water. And that we would tell others that there is no one else like him. There is no one else like him. Because he walks on the water. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we pray now that God, you would speak to us, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would demonstrate your awesomeness even during this time of commitment and invitation. Overwhelm us with your extraordinary qualities and personhood. And may we fall before you. May we give you the praise that we should. God, speak to the, my brothers and sisters, those who are going through storms. Lord, speak to those of us in this place that are not saved and have never bowed a knee to your son. And God, may we respond in faith and trust. 
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?